You're listening to community-supported radio KVMR, FM, Nevada City. For their support, we'd like to thank Doc Adams Antenna Services, locally owned and operated dish network installer, assisting Nevada County residents with satellite television for over 35 years. Located on Jaworski Drive in Grass Valley, online at donadamsgv.com. Also, Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. After the NPR headlines in regional weather, We'll have this week's financial report with Gary Zimmerman. Also, Keith Porter will be speaking with Jane Primrose. She's president of the board of the Nevada Theater. We're going to talk about what things look like in this difficult time for our local theater. And closing out the news, we have Mark Cunaberti with an essay. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of The Sages Among Us and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. Firefighters in Oregon are making progress on many of the major fires burning up and down the state. But as NPR's Nathan Rod explains, dense smoke is still blanketing the entire region and shutting down local economies that were just starting to reopen. While urban search and rescue teams assess the damage and look for missing people in the still burning West Cascades, thick smoke is causing problems in the valleys below. Stores are closed and many outdoor jobs and recreation are on pause. Brittany Quick-Warner is the president of the Eugene Area Chamber of Commerce. We thought we'd have at least another month of, you know, good weather that would allow these restaurants specifically to be able to continue to operate outside um, despite the, the coronavirus. So, you know, it's just one disaster on top of another this year. The smoke is expected to linger through most of the week. Nathan Rupp, NPR News, Lines, Oregon. After making landfall near Gulf Shores, Alabama, as a Category 2 hurricane with more than 100 mile-per-hour winds, Sally has weakened to a tropical storm. However, as the storm moves inland, it's dumping heavy rain and causing torrential flooding areas along the Gulf Coast, including Pensacola, Florida. The slow-moving storm has uprooted trees, flooded streets, and cut power to hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis telling residents of his state even as the storm moves through, they should stay indoors for now. Do not try to go out in there. There could be power lines down in the water. Uh, don't try to drive your car through it. Uh, it's something that, that, that you could uh, very much uh, regret. Some parts of the Gulf Coast have had more than 18 inches of rain in just the past 24 hours. Public health experts briefed Democratic nominee Joe Biden today about a potential coronavirus vaccine and how it should be distributed. As NPR's Sam Greenglass reports from Wilmington, Delaware, vaccine development has emerged as a key issue on the campaign trail. Inside a historic theater in downtown Wilmington, Biden outlined four planks for how he'd roll out a vaccine when it's ready. He also warned against playing politics with the vaccine. Recently, President Trump has been hinting that he wants to see a vaccine approved before Election Day. Let me be clear. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. 
but I don't trust Donald Trump. And at this moment, the American people can't either. Once a vaccine is approved, Biden said he'd establish a clear timeline of when the American people could expect to actually get it, guidelines for who should get the vaccine first, and plans for how to store and ship millions of doses. Sam Greenglass, NPR News, Wilmington, Delaware. Stocks gained some ground after an announcement from the Federal Reserve. It's likely to keep interest rates low for a substantial period of time. The Dow was up 36 points. The S&P 500 rose 15 points. Over the Nasdaq closed down 139 points. This is NPR. The fire chief in Kenosha, Wisconsin, says damages there as a result of unrest over the police shooting of Jacob Blake now top $11 million. Fire Chief Charles Lipsig telling the city's police and fire commission most of the losses came in the days following the August 23rd shooting of Blake. The 29-year-old black man was left partially paralyzed after a white police officer shot him seven times in the back. The shooting sparked protests and violence, including the setting of roughly two dozen fires that destroyed a number of downtown businesses. A 17-year-old shot three demonstrators, killing two of them. A judge in Tennessee will allow DNA testing in the case of a man scheduled for execution in December. As Katie Reardon of member station WKNO in Memphis reports, attorneys for the man believe the long-awaited testing will help exonerate him. 53-year-old Purvis Payne is on death row for the 1987 double murder of a 28-year-old woman and her 2-year-old daughter. For over three decades, Payne has insisted he was wrongfully accused. DNA testing was not available at the time of his trial. His legal team says testing bloodied items like the murder weapon could help identify other suspects. Attorney Vanessa Potkin with the Innocence Project argues Payne's ordered execution is already unconstitutional because he has an intellectual disability. He shouldn't even, you know, be on death row in the first place. But now doing this DNA testing can help us get to the truth. County prosecutors say they will not appeal the judge's order. For NPR News, I'm Katie Reardon in Memphis. And I'm Jack Spear, NPR News in Washington. And now taking a look at our local weather. Here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, it'll be a low of 66 tonight, high of 83 tomorrow, mostly sunny all week, cooling quite a bit to the low 70s on Friday and warming up to the low 80s by this Sunday. In Sacramento, low of 61, high of 88, cooling to 81 on Friday warming up to the upper 80s later in the week, and in Truckee, low of 37, high of 78. Temperatures generally in the mid-70s for the rest of next week. Next up, I'll be speaking with economist Gary Zimmerman. Welcome back, Gary. Um, Let's start with today's news. Uh, What did the Fed do today with interest rates and, uh, say, about the future course of the economy over the next couple of years? Hi, Bob. It's good to be back on the air with you and KVMR today. Well, the Fed's Monetary Policy Committee met today at the Fed uh, governors and the Fed Federal Reserve Bank presidents, and they announced their monetary policy decision after their two-day meeting. 
the meeting is something they do about every six or seven weeks. And today's decision probably shouldn't have been a big surprise. Um, there were several key points that Fed Chair Jay Powell made in his press conference announcing the decision uh, made at the meeting. And those are, you know, the Fed will keep interest rates at their current level, zero to a quarter of a percentage point for the short-term um, federal funds target interest rate. And that's, you know, also or, you know, for those um, money market folks, that would be a zero to 25 basis point. So keep interest rates where they are today. Um, and they will leave interest rates low until the labor markets reach the Fed's estimates of maximum employment, which, according to their projections released today, that's about 4%. And they'll leave interest uh, leave interest rates low until inflation reaches the Fed's 2% goal. That's important. And that inflation is on track to moderately exceed a 2% inflation rate for some time. Um, they're not exactly saying what moderately is or some time is, but you know they're allowing you know some overshoot of inflation. And this is you know part of the monetary policy announcement from a couple of weeks ago that we we talked about. Essentially, the message here is that the Fed is going to continue to support the economic recovery, a and and b the economy needs Fed support for the economic recovery to continue. Well, Gary, how might this decision affect the stock market, for example, and how about the real economy that exists today? Well, the financial market effects usually take place immediately. So we've seen, for example, that um, mortgage rates hit a new, I think, all-time low in the U.S., 3.09% according to Bank Rate Monitor. Um, and we were likely to see that the stock market you know, takes positively to the low interest rates. That should usually boost the stock markets. Um, you know, low interest rates are, you know, means that, you know, there are minimal returns on the bond market, so funds tend to flow out of bonds and into stocks, and that helps support stock market prices. So stock market should should benefit from the, you know, expected low interest rates for a considerable amount of time. With the real economy, it's a, it's a longer story. It takes, you know, several months or quarters. There's a lag between the time that the monetary policy actions might be taken and when it actually works its way through into the real economy. So when I say real economy, or you say real economy, we're probably thinking about labor market, production services, manufacturing, government services, trade sector. And it takes time to adjust investment and production. It takes time to make decisions about, you know, buying cars and houses and electronics and expensive items, furniture that might require um, financing. So, you know, low long-term interest rates will continue to help lower uh, longer-term interest rates as well. Excuse me, low short-term interest rates will continue to help lower the long-term interest rates and tend to boost investment spending and consumer spending on those durable goods that require financing. And that, you know, again, that takes time. So um, there's a lag there, and it, you know, it should be helping the economy, the real economy, uh, down the road. But we, we may not see that immediately. Well, Gary, you are a, a former Fed economist. And how do you read this action? And how long might the Fed be considering or expecting that interest rates will remain this low? Oh, well, now, Paul, that's a perfect question. Uh, how, how long will short-term interest rates essentially remain at or near zero? And we can look at the Fed's policymakers' projections um, that were released after the meeting to, to see exactly what they are expecting. And uh, projections show no change in that short-term interest rate, which is you know, currently at the zero to 25 basis points. It's been around a tenth of a percent you know, 
2.10 now, and uh, is expected to stay there through 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023. That's the last year they projected. So um, we're looking at you know at least you know three years roughly of low very low short-term interest rates near zero um, we, when the fed the fed does tell us when they think that you know in the longer run when the fed funds target rate that short-term interest rate is back to normal it would be in the two two and a half percent range so you know we're, we're a long way from that um, and it's going to happen you know, based on what they're seeing in the economy today, not at least until after 2023. So that's a long time. And it tells me we're likely looking at a slower, gradual recovery going forward. Gary, if this is what the Fed is projecting for their target interest rates, what are they expecting for the economic recovery? Is it going to be rapid, moderate, slow? Um, Important question. What are your thoughts, Gary? Okay, well, um, we're they're projecting a terrible 2020 with a decline of real, and that would be inflation-adjusted gross domestic product or GDP, uh, declining about um, somewhere in the three to four percent um, in one year. All, all of that, of course, caused at this point, it looks like all of that would have been caused by that uh, 10 percent decline, absolute 10 percent decline in the second quarter. Um, you know, for as the median for all of the Fed policymakers, they're looking at a, a minus 3.7% uh, decline or a decline in GDP uh, for 2020. So that's a, that's a bad, bad year. That's a recession. Um, and even with that's going to happen, even with growth in the second half of the year, which could be fairly quick, um, you know, it's not enough to, you know, get out of the big hole that uh, the economy fell into. And it's going to take time to, to climb out of that. Um, so then they are looking at a sort of above average growth in 2021, 22, and falling back closer to average in 2023 as the economy recovers and puts the labor force back to work. But, you know, I, I basically see the U.S. economy, you know, slowly making up for the recession losses after the pandemic. And, you know, based on the, the Fed's projections here, that's taking several years. And I think that's, you know, that's consistent with some of the economic indicators that you know, we've been looking at, too. Um, don't expect to see, you know, consumers are still depressed. Um, savings rates are really high, which, you know, slows consumption, spending. Um, so there's just lots of reasons. Um, you've got you know, spending is going to be hurt by the um, failure to come up with the um, unemployment supplemental um, contributions. So, you know, there's lots of things that are going to that are going to sort of slow recovery at this point. Gary, thank you so much. Look forward to our next chat in a couple of weeks. Okay, thank you, Boston. Take care. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the Federal Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance.
I'm Keith Porter for KVMR News, and I'm talking today with Jane Primrose, who is the board president of the Nevada Theater Commission. And obviously, the Nevada Theater Commission owns and operates the Nevada Theater in Nevada City. So, Jane, welcome to KVMR. Oh, thank you, Keith, for having me on this nice, smoky day. Tell us a little bit about the history. Why is the Nevada Theater here, and why is it important to the community? The gist of it is, um, 155 years ago, the Nevada Theater opened at the top of Broad Street in Nevada City, Um, and it's gone through an evolution. It was opened originally as a uh, strictly a theater and then evolved into a movie theater during the turn of the century. Uh, It was changed into a nonprofit, and the citizens of Nevada City bought the Nevada Theater and started to make it into what it is today, which is a live theater and a live performing arts venue. What I'm really proud of with this theater is that we, in a normal year, and of course we're talking now about not normal times, but in a normal year, we have events on stage at the Nevada Theater five nights a week, and almost everything that happens at the Nevada Theater is by local artists for our local audience, as well as tourists who are in the area. But it's really a place for local artists to express themselves, whether it be theater companies, whether it be uh, music performances, whether it be circuses, whether it be town hall formats, whatever's happening, everything at the Nevada Theater, if I were to use a number, I'd probably say about 95% of what's on stage happens by the citizens of Nevada County. Well, and those same very self-same citizens, and I'll confess I have been in a production or two on the stage, get to tread the same boards that uh, that Mark Twain trod back in the, when, in the 1860s, 1870s? Yes, originally we, we did have, a, they had all the touring, um, like Mark Twain came, he came, um, he was a lecturer, and uh, they would have, all these people would be touring, and this was really, when you think about it, probably the entertainment venue at, you know, other than having to go all the way to Grass Valley to something over there. But this was what happened in this town. The first event that opened, or, and then officially the theater wasn't even finished at that point, but the community gathered at the side of the theater when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. So that's how that. old the Nevada Theater is. So a few years ago, the Nevada Theater went through a a major change in that there was a consortium uh, created between the Nevada Theater and KVMR to take down the old sheds behind the theater and put the brand new studio building for KVMR as part of the same building. When I'm in part of that building right now talking with you, and it's a wonderful studio. It's a wonderful project from my point of view, at least, and I wonder how it uh, looks from Nevada Theater point of view. Are Are you pleased with the outcome? Has that worked well for the theater well we this is i think it was one of the most exciting projects that happened in our town Um, we had that space behind the theater that we were unable to really use and kvmr wanted to have the studio in downtown continue to have a studio in downtown nevada city Mm -hmm. so inside your building keith is our backstage So you have this beautiful building with with offices and studios and everything else, and yet right in the middle of it is is the Nevada Theater has this great big two-story backstage space. So that's what we got out of it, and we couldn't be happier. 
So, Jane, obviously the question we have at this point is how has the theater been impacted by the COVID pandemic and uh, what, what are the plans for, for being able to get back into regular use? Well, I think like everyone else, we've kind of evolved and uh, constantly are changing. When, when the, in March, when COVID first came out and the stay-at-home order happened, we had the play Blythe Spirit on stage, uh, a production of Sierra Stages. So we closed and um, everyone went home and we kept thinking we're going to open up the play again, you know, in July or we're going to, you know, we, we have a full schedule. So we kept thinking this will happen and this will happen. And over time we've come to real, and, and at first we thought, as I said, July, and then we thought September, we, you know, we keep thinking we're optimistic. But we've come to realize, um, and I think especially the point was made with the last tears that came out, that they feel that live theater and live performance art venues are really occasions for what they call spreader events. Right. And there's no way to safely have people on stage, you know, singing out towards an audience and being in an enclosed space with very little real ventilation. There's no way to make that happen safely. So in all four tiers that the governor just recently released, there's no uh, allowance for live music and live theater venues to open. So, for now, uh, the theater stays dark, right? We stay dark. And we just recently went back with the county to discuss, you know, we always want to be in touch with what's the latest advice and what are the rules. Well, I I do know that there was the Summit series that was produced about uh, performance in Nevada County and streamed to a number of people, and the the stage was used for some of that. Was that before these uh, restrictions were completely in place? There was a small window of time, but so there was one period of time where, where they hadn't really defined what it is we could and couldn't do, and we were able to do that uh, summit series. It only happened on um, a day or two where we did some filming inside uh, interviews, actually, of people. So, Jane, obviously the other question is financially. Is the commission financially going to be able to survive this period of time? We, once it became apparent to us that this may go on for perhaps as long as a year, we don't really know. Uh, we have developed a plan that will enable us to be here at the end of this period of time. Um, We have one employee who still comes in. Um, We are busy doing some project work inside the theater during this time period. We received um, a $5,000 grant from Nevada County Relief Fund. We also received an EIDL loan. We're very fortunate. We own the building. And when I say we, uh, you know, I represent the commission, but we represent the citizens of Nevada County and the citizens of Nevada City. Um, We don't have any loans out on it. Uh, We have a full solar system on the roof, which we own entirely. So our overhead is very low. We're very fortunate to have kind of gone that direction. Um, we We have a lot of people who contribute to us. Between uh, contributions from the community, the grant money, the, um, 
disaster loan money. We think we will be fine and just stay quiet. And as soon as we can open, boy, we, we can't wait to open those doors and be putting on all the wonderful things on stage once again. Well, and the community can't wait for that to be happening as well, uh, speaking as one member of the community, that's for sure. And so, Jane, for people who wish to support the Nevada Theater and keep it uh, vibrant and active, how can they support the theater? You can always go to nevadatheater.com. We have a donation button through PayPal on the website. Jane Primrose, board president of the Nevada Theater Commission, thank you for joining us today on KVMR. You are so welcome, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Wednesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we have this week's edition of The Sages Among Us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Mark Cunaberti with a commentary. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. In recent weeks, one could argue the markets have, for the most part, slowed their eye-popping and relentless ascent that became the norm since about the third week of March. Investors may be seeing little definitive movement in the Dow, but most certainly the same cannot be said for their portfolio balances. A classic rotation has been taking place with some analysts arguing a speculative bubble in particular stocks has just popped. Without singling out specific names, I'll just say some stocks have gone crazy up with valuations which is the price of the stock versus what the underlying company earns, is bordering on the mania phase, or at least was for the last few months. One needs to only think back to the dot-com bubble to envision what stock manias look like. Indeed, most will agree the last three months or so have seen similar stratospheric price increases in many stocks. When stocks gain 50, 75% or 100% in a few weeks, you're in a stock mania, folks. And manias, when they end, usually take at least some of the gain and turn it into some stomach-churning pain. So goes the last few weeks for some stocks and the investors that bought them. A correction is definitely in progress. Since the Dow itself has not rapidly deflated as a whole, as has happened in the past, these last few weeks is not an all-out rout of the markets, at least not yet. More so, what we're seeing are the previous shooting stars of the shutdown falling back to earth. And since many of these stocks were the popular household names we all know of and love, it's more than likely a few investors have avoided some portfolio bloodletting. In other words, probably a lot of people just lost a lot of money. The question now becomes, will the rotation become an all-encompassing market blowout, or will the rotation only deflate some stocks with those monies going into a whole new group of sectors? The market has indeed been in somewhat of a disconnect of late, with many stocks and indexes reaching or surpassing all-time highs. All this while the economy remains in partial shutdown, likely causing many businesses of all sizes to close their doors for good. If many businesses do shut down for good, and this analyst thinks a good many will, 
The damage to the economy will be massive. Most experts believe the Fed bailouts and stimulus programs can only go so far in rescuing the economy. Real growth has to be the organic type, which means real businesses have to sell real stuff. The concern is that the market has not fully accounted for just how much damage there will be as more economic statistics are reported. Reality might bite the markets more than they are now. Add to that a contentious election, wildfires in the West, and who knows what's waiting in the wings, and yeah, it's been that kind of year. What do we expect the market to continue its explosive rally? Really? They could be asking a lot. As we move into fall, analysts remember that when the leaves fall, markets have fallen in the past, and hard, with some historic crashes happening in the months of September and October. Some good advice might be to take some money off the table where gains have been made. There's an old Wall Street adage that addresses this quite nicely, which is, no one ever went broke taking a profit and lightening up on equities and going to more cash smooths out volatility and reduces risk in the portfolio. Indeed, going to more cash is a favorite strategy of mine when looking at healthy profits if I'm fretting over iffy markets. Trying to squeeze more profits from an already profitable position means the greed gene, the greed DNA, is alive and kicking in the investor. Although this can yield fields of dreams, it can also lead to nightmares if taken too far. That's it for today's Money Matters. This is not a recommendation or an offer to buy or sell any securities and not meant as individual investment advice. No one can predict markets at any time. Investing involves risk and you can lose money. I hold a degree in economics from SDSU with honors in 1979. I'm an investment advisor representative and hold California insurance license OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name is Mark Kunabari. That's our newscast for this evening. Next up, we have the sages among us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Good.